Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your host, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney at VeteransDefender.com, and Dr. Dolores Tarver, licensed psychologist. For more information about our show, go to In Our Own Defense on Instagram or Gmail at In Our Own Defense at Gmail or Facebook at In Our Own Defense or our new YouTube channel at In Our Own Defense to learn more about our, our network here. So in this podcast, our mission is to share truths and create a dialogue that increases our listeners' awareness of a variety of concerns to foster development of a holistic plan, which incorporates mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and intellectual wellness. Dr. Tarver? The information provided during the In Our Own Defense podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for the knowledge, skill, and judgment of qualified mental health or medical care professionals. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Well, welcome to another show, Dr. Tarver. How have you been? I've been great. Thanks for asking. How about you? I've been well. I've been well. I'm really excited, uh, working out a lot, running a lot, getting my miles up. Um, and this two-part episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, uh, I'm really excited about it because we really get to test my waters and, and my information from VeteransDefender.com and that the military experience. And, and we have the luxury of having very talented and uh, intelligent uh, leaders, uh, like a lawyer leader, Mr. Quintilis Lawrence, a former uh, um, commissioner in Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Paris since 19 JDC. Great mentor for me in the practice of law. He's also a judge advocate in the United States Army Reserves all 29 years, but we'll get to his bio in a second. And we have uh, Randolph and Lori Chestain. Uh, um, Randy Chestain was in uh, Navy ROTC while I was in Army ROTC at the Southern University. So it's, it's always got to be a Southern University connection to it. And uh, he, he, was in a, he was a stellar leader. And I just found him to be a great mentor because he had all the, the experience with over 30 years. And he has his, his bride uh, with him. Uh, Miss Lori Chestain, commanders, both of them, uh, in their own right, exceptional military leaders. So we get the chance to dive into this really pressing issues. And the reason why it's so pressing, Dr. Tarver, is recently uh, th this concept has, has come about and we've started to see the awakening of, of, of America having a reckoning with this racial past and how it's, it's happened in the news. And now it's coming across all of those dimensions of racism that we discussed on some of these previous shows. So in this show of Justice June, we really get to talk about something that I have pride in. I'm from 200 combined years of, of Army service. Uh, and my family's an Army family. And so um, been in for 100 years consistently. And so, you know, we have a mantra in our family, like this will defend. This is our country from, it's been our country since the readout nine and 10 at Yorktown when we won the battle to start this country. It's been our country when Christmas addict was shot. It's been our country in the Civil War with the 54th Massachusetts. It's been our country in every war since then, Spanish America in every war. And so my family is proud. And, and we take that to honor, defend this country against all its enemies, foreign and domestic, every African-American takes that oath. And uh, and we're in, in wars today in Afghanistan, Iraq, and even in the coin and cyber and space wars we're in. And there's three major articles that have been coming out. The United States Marine has confronted the Confederate flag and said they have banned it throughout the United States Marine Corps. You can't have it on a cup. You can't have it anywhere on a bumper sticker on your vehicle. And that's pretty telling. The Marines normally step out front, and, 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 and it's hard for the Marines to live a, a warrior ethos of, once a Marine, always a Marine, all Marines that matter, and, and then they would have that. So that's, 
that's pretty promising that the Marines have done that. Uh, it's pretty promising that the Department of Defense, uh, the Secretary and the Secretary of the Army are saying that they are uh, ready to willing and to rename these Army bases. They wanted to get help from Congress. Uh, it, unfortunately, the 1600 Pennsylvania um, um, resident is, is the president is saying that he's not uh, for changing the name on it. But I think there's a lot more momentum in the in the overall citizenry uh, to get those names changed. And most recently, uh, you know, there's been article after article after article that I've read and researched about uh, racism in the military. But most recently, the GAO, the Government Accountability um, Office, uh, laid out a report a few years ago where it stated that the DOD and the Coast Guard uh, need to improve their capabilities to assess racial and gender disparities. Um, and, and this was telling in that the four major services, they're, they're the three-star generals that represent them, um, went before Congress, the, the three JAG lawyers, the three-star generals that are all JAG lawyers, went before Congress and admitted that there's, uh, there's a racial disparity in, um, in the administration of justice, whether it's non-judicial or judicial uh, punishment, uh, it, it, um, it overwhelmingly, for the conduct, same conduct, it, it's overwhelmingly harsher against African-American and uh, females. And so um, I'm, I'm concerned about this. Um, I thought it, instead of just speculating or getting upset about it, I'd rather have some talented people here with me to help us unpack this. And then I'm just really concerned about, if I said I raised my right hand to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, what does that do to me if I believe that, how can I fully serve my country if I feel that my country is going to potentially uh, do something to me? What does that do to my psychology? What does that do to my mental, Dr. Tarbin? I want you to help us un unpack what that may do to someone. So I uh, know that was a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I needed to set the scene and lay that backdrop for us to get to this because I don't want us to, it's so much to, uh, we can't cover it all, but I want us to at least have a good old college try at addressing this. Uh, so um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> We're going to have to talk off show about you posing one question and allowing me to answer it as opposed to okay. at one time. Okay. Uh, I, I am um, I am very happy to have our guest on the show today because this is an area that I think sometimes gets neglected when we talk about race and, and that is with in our United States military and we're going to talk about the experiences that how how can your family not be affected how can you come back from have have had an experience in combat and think that you won't be altered you won't be changed how can you have experiences where you see people mistreated because of their ethnicity and it not affect you. I don't, I don't think we can have a conversation uh, in just this June about race if we don't talk about the military and its effects uh, on those of you that have served and are serving currently. And so there is no short answer to the many questions you just posed to me. Um, but we'll get into some of the effects that end up happening um, with people with regard to their mental health. When dealing with this, we talked about the effect of cumulative trauma last week and how I have to deal with racism, I have to deal with what's going on in the military, I have to deal with what's going on in the world, and that those are all stacked on me 
So of course I'm going to have some mental health concerns after that. They may be mild or they may be more severe and, and they need to be addressed. And then I think the other piece is the struggle that I think sometimes people experience when you take that oath to serve and protect your country and then you get faced with some uncomfortable things about the history, um, how we got here and the cognitive dissonance that occurs when I don't wanna be uncomfortable with hearing this factual information about how people are mistreated in this service organization that I love. Uh, and so I'm just gonna kind of distance myself from that information and focus on this other thing over here. So let me hold tight to protecting this Confederate flag. Let me hold tight to continuing to have these military installations named after people in the Confederacy, because I'm much more comfortable with that than the legacy that allowed them to get to that place. So I'm gonna unpack some of that tonight. I know we can't get to everything, but I know that you have a, a great panel of guests that are going to be sharing a variety of experiences with us. And so I'm excited to get into the discussion. Well, with, uh, without further ado, let's let's get in and, uh, and introduce, and I'll introduce our first guest, and you can introduce uh, next, um, Quintillus Lawrence. Uh, he's originally from uh, Michigan, Saginaw. Uh, he's, a, um, he's a graduate of the Southern University of New Orleans, uh, that great Southern University system. He graduated in political science in 1998 uh, from undergrad, and he earned his Juris Doctorate from the Southern University Law Center uh, in 2001, he was uh, he was an upperclassman as I was entering the law center, and always carried himself with a seriousness of purpose. Uh, and he is currently an adjunct professor in criminal uh, procedure there, uh, which is one of those big key bar exam. He's a member of various organizations, to include Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, Fraternity Incorporated, the Department of Officers Association, Veterans of Foreign Wars, Louisiana Law. He's a former district attorney, and he's a um, um, He's a for, former district attorney and public defender, and he even served as a commissioner, which is a magistrate judge uh, for the 19th JDC uh, for six years. Uh, he practiced law ten private law ten years before that, and he currently is running for judge, uh, which I pray God that he he gets elected. Uh, Quintilis is, uh, like I said, a judge advocate uh, in the United States Army Reserve with 29 years of service. Well, it is my great pleasure to introduce, and I won't be able to do it justice, um, our commanders, Chastain, who I just want to point out are sitting here with their two adorable children, and they are managing this, this interview and this discussion with their kids. And, and to me, that speaks volumes, just who they are as family members, but also service men and women. And I am, I just couldn't be more proud that you have your family here to share in this moment. So uh, I'll just take that executive privilege. So let me get to your bios. Um, so Commander Randolph Chastain IV is, uh, he hails from Bassfield, Mississippi. And he enlisted in the United States Navy in 1991 and 1999. He graduated from Southern University. Attorney Winters has to find ways to bring Southern Knights to this show. Uh, he's discriminating against Xavier rights, but we'll get to that another day. Uh, and um, he has a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering and was commissioned through the U.S. Navy ROTC program. At sea, Commander Chastain has served as Damage Control Assistant in USS Elrod, Operations Officer in USS Chief, Operations Officer in, in USS Stephen Groves. There are so many, so I know that um, uh, you all can look at his bio. Um, but he is currently assigned to National Defense University in Washington, D.C. as a joint instructor. He's also completed his postgraduate degree 
while assigned to Naval War College Newport, earning a Master's of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies and JPE, JPME phases one and two. He has a lot of awards uh, that I know that he probably doesn't want to hear me tell everybody about. So <laughs> his beautiful wife, uh, Lori Chestang, who is also a commander, and she hails from Evans, Georgia, and is 2003 Selman College political science graduate and commissioned through the Morehouse NROTC unit. Her sea tours include a variety of things as well, Ordnance Officer and USS Benfold, Reactor Controls Division Officer and USS Enterprise, uh, where she was part of the decommissioning crew of um, USS Underwood, and also she was Operations and Chief Executive Officer for USS Hugh City. Ashore, she completed the curriculum at both the Naval Nuclear Power Training Unit and Command in Charleston, South Carolina, and served as a nuclear trained officer at Navy Recruit Region East in Millington, Tennessee. Currently, she is at the deputy, she is the deputy director of administration for director Navy staff in Washington, DC. And she also holds a Master of Arts degree in National Security and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. And she also has several personal awards as well that we'll make sure to highlight. Well, good deal. Well, so Dr. Tarver, join me in welcoming our guests. Welcome Yay! to the show, y'all. Welcome, Welcome to our own show. And, uh, you know, as we get started, there's a really important question I have to, uh, I have to ask uh, before I pass it over to Dr. Tarver, is where did y'all get those babies, those wonderful little motorcycles that they were driving on? Because I was so jealous that I kept trying to find it so I could go buy one for Scott. <laughs> Uh, so grandma and grandpa, excuse me, Gigi and G-Pops, uh, <laughs> surprised us. And they came from, um, I think it's Kids Zone. Kids well, Zone. Kids Zone. That's the, on the back of the little bumper cars. Yeah, it's all bumper cars. I get so jealous about the smallest things. And Dr. Tom, no, I try to get Scott everything. Yes, so. oh my gosh. <laughs> got get that. Okay, I'm sorry, Dr. Tarver, go ahead. Well, again, welcome everyone, uh, and we are happy to have our village today. It makes me feel wonderful to see. Now, this is not my area, so please forgive me if I stumbled over your bio <laughs> trying to pronounce all of these things that I am very unfamiliar with, uh, but hopefully those who are active duty and veterans understood what I was saying. Um, so I want to ask you all a question, and I think it's, it's fitting that you're here with your adorable children to ask this. So people frequently come in when they see me in therapy and they make the statement, I wish I would have known. Before I joined the military, I wish I would have known this, right? I see you um, shaking your head, uh, Commander Lori. Uh, and so I would like to ask you all, what are some of the things that you wish that you would have known before you entered into the military? What advice can you give to families whose people may be making this and also people <laughs> in the military and have children what what things would you like to tell them like hey if I had no so um sorry the kids my husband would like to answer as well absolutely <laughs> uh gosh a few things that I I wish I would have known um and I think especially now, given the climate and everything that's going on, um, I wish I would have known that, that 
racism is still a very real thing in the military. Um, and by that, I mean, so I too come from a military family. My dad, uh, he was enlisted in the army. My grandmother was enlisted in the army. That's where she met my grandfather. Um, and growing up, you know, my father, he was military intel intelligence. He was a linguist, uh, fluent in Italian and Arabic. Um, and he would tell me stories of the things that he faced being one of, I think, only maybe five uh, Black linguists in the military at that time. Um, and I think when when I came up, and I joined, you know, because of, of his experiences, and I would often go to work with him, um, Things that I saw, like the first female officer that I saw was in the army, uh, and that gave me great hope. So I came in thinking that I was naive in thinking that the experiences that he experienced were things of the past, right? I came in thinking that even though the rest of the world, um, even though the rest of the world was still facing racism, that the military would be, you know, that that golden city on the hill, and and racism and sexism just didn't exist there. Uh, I was wrong. Um, let me be clear: I'm not saying that the military organization is racist. I'm saying that there are people in the military who are racist. Um, so I, I wish I would have known that. Um, I would have gone in with my eyes a little bit more wide open. I think I would have been better prepared to um, deal with some of the situations that I had to deal with. Um, I also wish I would have known that there are still trailblazers in the military to this day. Um, oftentimes we, we think that in 2020, there's so many people who have still done so many things that no one is the first. Uh, that's, that is not true. Um, and if you, you know, if you're familiar with, with military news, there are plenty of firsts and, uh, you know, including women on submarines, um, women in the nuclear field in the military, uh, I actually know the first. So we are still, um, blazing trails there. Uh, so yeah, I wish I would have known that, that the military was not the utopia that I was hoping that it would be. Um, and that there are still trailblazers. So if you join, you may be the first to do something and you should be prepared. So what are what are some of the things that you would say to because I think that's very powerful to say to people like you still may be a first as this. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because I, I think people uh, are uh, much. Many of us are probably comfortable thinking we won't be the first at anything anymore. Like there's surely someone who has gone before me here in, in 2020. That, that trailblazer. What is a follow-up? What would you say to, to help prepare them for for that mentally? Because that that can be a, a tough experience for someone to have to walk into a situation where you describe like, hey, I thought this was this utopia. And then I realized, okay, my, oh, what would you offer as advice to people to help them prepare for that journey? Um, I would say, uh, me being a spiritual person, um, you need to be prepared to uh, talk to God more than you ever have before. 
and have real conversations with God. You know, Jesus, I'm here. I hope you're listening. It's me again for the fifth time today. Um, uh, but definitely, you know, you have to, if you are a spiritual person, you have to, to be willing to get in touch with, with whatever force, whatever you believe in, um, to help you get through and to not be ashamed of that. Um, because, you know, and, and sometimes, especially in the military, I think we, you know, we feel like we have to be strong all the time and maybe having faith is a show of weakness, um, but it's not. Having faith is actually, it's quite powerful and it's very strong. Um, so absolutely get in touch with your faith. Um, find, find things that will help take your mind off of the tough situations. Um, like a hobby or if you like to read, you know, when you go on, on appointment, bring some books with you. Um, be prepared for, to allow yourself to have a little alone time to decompress. Um, and, and whatever happens, try not to make things personal. Uh, it's difficult. Sometimes, sometimes you do feel like it's personal. And to be quite frank, sometimes things are personal. Um, but try not to carry that. Try not to carry it home. Uh, it will age you. It will stress you out. Um, and it, it just, it just isn't good for your soul, you know? So find the things that, that will help you get through the hard times. You know, lean on your faith, lean on your family. Um, if you are very close to your parents, remain close. If you're not close to your family members or your parents, it might be a time to work on that relationship. Um, because sometimes when you are out there, uh, even though when we go out on deployment, we consider that our family, you might find that you're feeling very alone. Um, and it's just nice to be able to reach back to your family and uh, talk to someone who, who is familiar with you. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Lean on your faith, lean on your family, and find something to, to keep your mind off things and help get through those hard times. Those are some great recommendations. I, I wanna make sure that I give the opportunity to share too because I know that your experiences may be different in terms of what advice that you would offer so I will also uh, to you Commander Randy and also to you uh, Attorney Lawrence to both answer those questions as well what recommendations would you have for coming into the military what do you wish you would have known okay so you know as for me um, you know going to HBCU you think man this is great i have a, a family a unit this is going to be a good thing coming into the the military uh and as an officer you'll find sometimes that you may be the only one uh representing in whatever division ship or whatever position of leadership uh where you're working and uh and that's a challenge it could be a challenge where you're used to being around people like winners and everybody you know in multitude you know and you get out there and now it's just you and uh, like Lori said you know you have to find somebody that uh, you can talk to every now and again because sometimes you're gonna feel alone uh, I would tell people you know that although the military presents you know a, a utopia type of idea to, to the world uh, the biases do exist 
they uh, they do, and I'm not speaking for the Navy. This is just from my own personal experience, you know. But uh, they do look at you and they'll group you based off of what they think. And so uh, I would advise people coming in uh, to never give your position away. Never give your, your true self away. Come in and to do your job and do your be the best at your job you can be. And, uh, and, and as long as you do that and keep the emotion out of it, you'll be fine to some degree. Now, the other thing that uh, I wish I'd have known coming in uh, that I didn't know, that I wish I'd have known um, is that even if you work the hardest and you do your best and you follow the rules and the instructions, you do all those things, sometimes that's not enough to get you through. Sometimes they're going to use whatever they can uh, against you, whether that's what they think, what they heard, or something that you did that they just didn't like. And so you have to know that. And, uh, and I'm not sure, you know, if that's due to, you know, racial uh, issues and things like that. Uh, but if you're not one of their guys or girls, it's a challenge and you will not overcome it. And so those are the things you have to tell people. Go in and do your best. Do the best you can do. And, uh, and then you see how it goes. Cover yourself. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, at, at Commander Chastain indicated that most of the time you will be the only one. I'm, I, yes, as a JAG, there are very, the number of JAGs that are uh, minority are much smaller in the armed forces than the percentage that is actually out there in civilian society. We're the minority minority in the profession, but when it comes to being in the JAG Corps, we are very, very few. Um, we have an organization that is uh, called Buffalo JAGs, where we try to bounce things off of one another to keep keep that camaraderie. Uh, but when we're in our units, we are solo. I, um, I go to the JAG school every now and again, and you see across the room, there's this big auditorium, and there may be seven or eight that are in there. And you'll see one of the professors may be a minority. So, you know, we always have the, hey, how you doing? And try to get together and have some type of, you know, some type of a mentorship for the, the, the senior officers telling the junior officers, hey, this is what you need to do. These are the things you make sure you get accomplished so that you can keep your career going forward, your trajectory forward, as opposed to getting stagnant. The Army has its own. These are the examples of the things that you should do in order to move forward but there are some other things that we must do we must make sure that we are uh towing the line uh, the, on the active duty side uh there is a colonel colonel leo butler who wrote a paper in the army war college and it was entitled why black officers fail he ended up being a major general but one of the things that he talked about was that black officers usually come from the enlisted uh, core. And when we come into the officer corps, we tend to still want to have that enlisted camaraderie and that that must stop. Also that we don't like to quote, play the game. When the general call has a call and he or she says, hey, I'm having a Christmas party, we need to go. Uh, 
one of the things it's a it's it's not in the regulation but officers don't wear mustaches so a lot of black officers like to we shave our beards off but we keep our little mustache well it's an unwritten rule that officers don't wear mustaches and and, and those are some of the things that that i would tell someone who wants to come in it's like you got to you got to play the game. Unfortunately, you have to play the game. You can't, like Commander Chastain said, you can't tell him who your true self is. And that goes for both what you're thinking, what your thought process is, and how you present yourself. Uh, we go to family readiness events, and, and, and one of my good friends, who's a lieutenant colonel, he says, look, when you come to these things, he likes to wear sweatsuits and, and things like that. But we know that when we go to those things, it's khakis and boat shoes and a, and a, and a, and a polo style shirt. You can't be your quote, true self. Can't be as relaxed as you are. It's just like when, we, when we're hanging around one another, we have a relaxed tongue. But you know when you're in a professional environment, you don't have that relaxed tongue. So I would tell those people who want to come in that are, are, are concerned considering being an officer, especially, and even an enlisted person, because sometimes when you become an NCO, a senior NCO, you still got to abide by those same rules because you're in the same decision-making rooms as the officers because you're the senior enlisted advisor to that officer. So you got to play the same game. And what I wish I had known was that. I wish I had known that before I came in. I wish I had known those things that both Commanders Chastain had, had, had advised us of that they would tell people thinking that they wanted to come into the military. I wish I had known those things because then you can, you can better uh, 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 chart your path forward because some people, they come into the military for a career. Some come in just as a stepping stone for what they know they can get out of the military because just we, we know that in the military, you get some, some darn good training. And you get some skills that most people that go into civilian society in their first job, they don't get. Uh, we're thrown in the fire. And, and they come out, and most people, they look at soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Coasties as leaders. And so I wish I had known that before I entered. I want to kind of ask, because all of you, um, Commissioner Lawrence and Commander Chessing, um, all of you mentioned these even even within your your rules, your regulations, your your military guidebook, if you will, even beyond that, there are these other things that that black people may have to deal with, these unspoken rules that you're following, um, that you figure out it sounds like along the way, like, okay, so we have to be mindful of how we dress, how we wear the, the facial hair, how we probably wear our hair, how we right, how we well, how we uh, interact when we go out places that it's not optional for us to go to this social engagement that is something that really if we want to be able to move up in our career we need to do how does that affect your mental health so you're balancing all of these things all of being first looking around and not seeing very many people that look like you um, not knowing this information when you go in and and probably i imagine feeling a range of emotions when you figure it out okay so the rules for me may be a little different how does that affect your mental health? And, and the second part of that is when my mental health is affected, then how is that viewed within the military in terms of me getting some support around what I may be dealing with? Um, I'll let Lori go first. <laughs> it's a little busy. They refuse to go to bed today. Um, 
it can be it, it can be difficult um for me it wasn't it wasn't so much uh not really i never felt like i was not able to be my true self um i felt like I was obviously there, and so I was watched all of the time, right? Um, one of the stories that I like to, to use, when I was going through nuclear power school, um, there was a day, I think we were getting close to graduation, and everyone, uh, not everyone, there were a few people who were like, let's, let's skip a day, let's, let's skip, because we had to do something in the auditorium, I don't remember what it was. Um, and I looked at them, and it was, a, it was like three or four um, white guys. And I was like, thanks for thinking about me, but I can't skip. And they're like, what do you mean? What do you, come on, it's going to be fun. We're doing it. Nobody's going to notice. No, yes, they will. They, they won't notice four white guys missing out of a room of 100. But if there's three black females in the room, they're going to miss one, right? So, you know, having that constant pressure of feeling like someone is always watching you, um, that is difficult. Um, you did mention, you know, your hair and, and your nails and people don't realize sometimes something as trivial as your hair color, um, your nail color in the military, um, not only does it affect your mental health, but it also affects uh, your work ethic, the way in which you work. Um, if you are a young lady, and, and not just, you know, being a black woman or a white woman, um, but again, black women tend to stick out more. Uh, if you're constantly worried about, you know, is my hair color considered natural, or is my hairstyle within regulations or someone is constantly coming up to you, you know, asking you, is your hair, is your hair color okay? Um, or is that nail color complementary to your skin tone? You know, now all of a sudden, I'm not focused on getting my job done. I'm focused on, oh my goodness, what's wrong with my nails? What's wrong with my hair? Um, and that makes me less productive as a military member. Um, thankfully, uh, the military, um, and just last year, the Navy has uh, expanded hairstyles for women, um, specifically to help black women to allow us to, to wear more natural hairstyles. Um, we're starting to move away from things that are complementary to the skin tone, thank goodness. Um, but it absolutely does have an effect on your work ethic. It has an effect on your mental health. Um, the follow-up question with that, uh, I will say the perception of, of receiving mental health has definitely improved, um, at least on the Navy side. I don't want to you know, step into other military services uh, that I'm not familiar with, but on the Navy side, it has definitely improved. Um, improvements, you know, we started to see those, uh, I started to see them probably about five years ago, but now um, within the last couple of years, things have definitely ramped up. Um, there's much more talk about suicide awareness and prevention. 
um, there's more of a movement trying to to get away from mental health as there's something wrong with you um, and trying to get people the help that they need. You know, there used to be a stigma where if you went to uh, a mental health professional, you know, and you got what they called happy pills, you know, your career is over, you're going off the ship, you can't go on deployment. Um, the Navy has, has moved away from that. And I'm proud to say that they have moved away from that. You know, they absolutely want to reach out, help you. There are resources out there to uh, help personnel get the mental health that they need. So it's definitely been um, an improvement. Obviously, we are not there 100%, but we are, when it comes to mental health, moving in the right direction for sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love the tag team and I love it. Yeah, one of them was down in the bed, so we got one, but yeah, <laughs> so we got one left. But uh, for me, uh, I'll say that uh, early on, it was a uh, it was a real challenge coming straight out of college, uh, transitioning from the enlisted side to the officer side. I was used to being with the guys and and uh, hanging out and you know playing video games, going to the gym, playing basketball, and then we stepped into. Uh, what you call the wardroom on the ship, where it's the officer cadre, and I was the only one. And uh, they wanted to go to things like Irish pubs and, you know, that kind of stuff, and I had never done that. Not going to Southern University or anything like that, what would I go to an Irish pub for? You know, why would I listen to uh, country music, you know, and know all the words and get happy about it? You know, although I knew some country songs they knew all of the country songs so i always felt out of place you know and so you become a little isolated uh which challenged you professionally it challenged you personally you know it also you know over time i thought it affected me physically because you gave so much trying to figure out how to get to a win professionally and uh so early on it affected me but i I found it within me that I had to overcome that. I needed to prove, you know, that I was worthy to be there. I needed to prove that I knew as much as anybody else. And so I worked hard. I worked hard. And when my time came, and they, and they sure enough made me the last person uh, to get my qualification. Not that I deserved it. That's just what happened, you know. And I earned it. And then the captain ended up saying, you know, this was the best board that I've had. Well, sir, you know. Uh, I was ready months ago. You just passed me over because you told me I was lazy. You told me I couldn't do these things. You know, you told me I didn't understand these things, you know, and I had to deal with that. And so once I made it, I felt good about it. So that's the way I took on every other challenge after that. I knew that I had to go in every job, proving myself and being better than the next man. So I took it upon myself to say, okay, whatever you come at me with, I'm going to show you that that is not me. And that's how I overcame it. What is your perception of how, uh, before you start, uh, Commissioner Lawrence, what is your perception of how mental health is viewed? Uh, so early on, it was a negative stigma, you know. Uh, but over the last, I know for over the last three years, it's changed a lot. Uh, the Navy definitely wants to help people you know they want to give you the support that you need you know and um there's a lot of training a lot of resources set aside for that 
and we want to make sure that we're taking care of the sailor and the leaders and because uh, we've had leaders uh, commit suicide and things like that as well and uh, and the navy's took a big you know a big rudder rudder shift in how they approach uh, mental health which is good you know we want the sailors to know that we're there for them that's what we're supposed to do as leaders and i think we finally come into a place where sailors feel like they belong no matter how they feel you. You, you've got you've got the, the the two largest forces represented here tonight the army and the navy and it's it, it's my opinion this may not this is definitely not something that's gospel that you can take to the bank but so goes the navy and the army so goes the rest of the department of defense and both the department of both the navy and the army have taken those steps to ensure that with after global war on terror people were returning we had a serious issue with service members committing suicide service members having issues wherein they were uh yeah, substance abuse uh mental health issues all because of what we felt was a lack of what the army the navy the, the department of defense felt was a lack of help given to their service members like commander chastain said the stigma attached to it prior was it was a career killer or and if it wasn't people thought it was a career killer but a part of the new program at least that the army has rolled out they tell you this is not something that's going to affect you negatively this is something that's going to affect you positively because it's going to give you the tools necessary so that you can go out and you can get the help you need one of the uh one of the examples because the chaplain is in charge of our program for suicide prevention and one of the examples that most of the chaplains give when they give this yearly mandatory briefing is if you have a broken leg what are you going to do and everybody answers i'm going to go to the hospital so the same goes for your mental health if you have issues that you're dealing with go to the doctor um so i think that the army has done a decent job of attacking this issue uh it's not it's not a it's not a one-size-fits-all but it's a it's a start and it helps i mean we still have people doing the suicide challenge giving 22 push-ups because of the 22 veterans that commit suicide a day and this is some 15 20 years post the start of these uh suicide prevention programs uh, the Army's also rolled out a master resiliency course where in addition to the suicide prevention, they give you or try to give you the tools to be able to deal with the things that come at you. They send certain persons to the course and they become master resiliency trainers and they give segments of the course throughout the year, throughout the course of the training year or, or, or throughout the calendar year to the service members so that they can have those tools to be able to deal with the issues that they're confronted with. Some of the things that I dealt with uh, was being that solo person, being that only person, being an NCO, being an enlisted person, I, I can't say I had any issues because I was a part of the crew. You know, we we can hang out, you're an NCO, you can hang with the soldiers, you can, you can, you can go out to wherever place you want to go with them and, and it's all good but as an as a JAG officer specifically because I'm in I'm as I said before not many of us want to go into the armed forces as JAGs not many people because you know when you become a lawyer most lawyers think that hey I'm gonna go hang my shingle and I'm gonna do this uh 
this rainmaker thing and I'm going to go make a million dollars. Most don't think I'm going to go into the army and be a jag. I mean, the show jag ain't what we do. Uh, not many of us are flying aircraft and, and investigating uh, uh, in incidents. We're, we're, we're doing environmental law. We're doing contract law. We're doing military justice. We're doing uh, national security law. So it's not, it's, it's, now for me it's it's very sexy i like all of that stuff but for a guy coming out of law school that's not something that he or she is looking to do on their first job um so being that only person it it sometimes made me second guess whether or not i had what it took to make the ranks to continue to elevate because my first job i was trial counsel but never given the trial counsel jobs. And the trial counsel is a very serious job. That's the person who advises the company commanders. That's the person who does the prosecution. That's the person who does all the advising of the battalion commanders. Because in the Army, JAGs are at the brigade and above level. Brigade, uh, one star, two star. There are no, there are no JAGs in the battalions and, and, and the companies. So the, the trial counsel is advising the battalion commander. Trial counsel is advising the company commander. But they wouldn't let me do it. They would be the ones to do it. For me, it felt like it's because I'm, I'm the black JAG. I'm the only one. Everybody else in there is not a minority. No one else. When another came in, they quickly got packed their bags and left and went, went to another unit. So that was that was what made me feel some type of trepidation to as it relates to my abilities. But then I got an opportunity to become a brigade judge advocate, and I realized I know this stuff, and I know this stuff a lot better than some of those guys who were my supervisors, who were my you know uh, my bosses. So it was it was tough, but it it and family. If if it wasn't for family, I, I probably wouldn't still be doing it because they're the ones that support you and give you the, the confidence to know you can do anything because you, you've shown it in, in other areas that you got this, so. I wanna just thank you all for sharing those experiences. It sounds like support is really important. How you see yourself and your worth is really important and being able to find some kind of community where you can have a safe space to talk or, or be able to get any kind of help that you need is really important important attorney winners you know I, I agree dr tarver this is really exciting and you know these these conversations touch me i uh, i'm glad that i saw it uh, exactly what they're saying watch those being the only one in the room being the only one on staff advising the, the general advising these ambassadors trying to you know get them to go to the right direction of this human experience because that's at the end of the day that i think our guests are articulating is that at the end of it is there's still a human toll that it takes on you it takes on your family it takes on your ability makes you second guess your own psyche um and and when it's simply you're the best you're the talent you have these skills you have these skills uh and and they just need to come through and shine um that was really touching i'm so glad you brought that out uh, i want us to take a small break because we're going to come back and i want to talk about these things that are in the news but I think it's important that we unpack it from a mental health standpoint so we can look at it uh, and, and watch what that could be doing to uh, these, these soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines um, as they're experiencing their service as they're going through to get to where you guys are already at. Uh, so I think that's important. So 
uh, to our listeners. You're, um, you're joining us on Air On Defense podcast. And today we're discussing racial discrimination in the military in UCMJ. Uh, we have our special guests uh, with us today, uh, the Chestangs, uh, both commanders in the United States Navy and uh, former commissioner, uh, Quintilis Lawrence, attorney and um, um, judge advocate in the United States Army. Uh, we're lucky to have it. So Dr. Tarver and I will be right back. Thank 